We want to welcome all of our listeners to a special live episode of Minority Report podcast with Eric and Carell coming to you live from the Ad Color Conference and Awards. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media, and we are excited. We've got Sandy Gould, who is joining us, coming just off of the stage, who did a tremendous job. A little bit about Sandy. Sandy is the VP of Talent Acquisition, Diversity and Inclusion, and Learning and Development at Yahoo. Let's get to know a little bit more about Sandy. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Eric and Carell. It's great to be here having this conversation. I always love when I can get together with people and learn, connect, and grow together. Absolutely. We feel the same way. And I can't wait to sort of dive in a little bit more on the subject matter that you talked about on stage, because sometimes you just get a couple minutes to just talk about it. Right. Something so big. Right. Right. Agreed. So I want to circle back on that. But uh, first, uh, tell us a little bit about Sandy. Like, where were you born and raised and where'd you grow up? Well, everything in my life is a comic book theme, and it sounds like you're asking for my origin story. <laughs> That's so right. I want I'm going to give you my story. quick origin <laughs> story. So I was born in Norfolk, Virginia. I'm the fourth of four kids and grew up really primarily in Seattle, went to college, rabbinical school in New York and came back. And we'll talk about that. But my origin story is that my mom got sick in about her seventh month of pregnancy. She had a staph infection, which, you know, you can't treat with antibiotics in the last term. So I was born sick, spent the first year in the hospital, and honestly, first 10 years of my life, I was pretty sick. Mm-hmm. By the time I was eight, I was pulled out of school. I was getting worse. My mom took me to a health food store, the first, I believe, in the United States, in Florida, mm-hmm. to get some vitamins to see if that would help because she'd heard about this new movement and she was very forward-thinking. And the health food store manager looked at me and said, what's wrong with your guy? And my mom said, he has rheumatic fever. And he looked at me and he said, no, I think he's anemic. And she said, how would you know that? And he said, well, we live in Florida and he's whiter than a ghost. Mm. So you should go back to the doctors and have him tested again. They did. Sure enough, he was right. They had misdiagnosed me and they were making me worse by giving me the opposite remedy. So my mom pulled me out of all medical anything. We went alternative for the rest of our lives after that. And the interesting thing is, The doctors had told me, you're going to be sick all your life, not have energy, struggle to be healthy, won't be able to play sports. You're not going to be able to do what other kids can do. So when I got home, I was very upset. And my parents told me, you can do anything as long as you're willing to work hard enough to do it. Mm -hmm. I also had three older siblings who are amazing and I love them, but they argued all the time. So I knew people had different points of view about the truth, which meant the doctors may not be right. And then the third thing was I did two things while I was sick. I observed people deeply and I saw that they were different and their superpowers came from their difference. And there was a beauty there that they didn't see. So I, I really envy that. It it actually sparkled to me, which is kind of why I wear sequins and glitter and bright things, because that's how I see people in their unique difference in diversity. And then the final thing was I read comics. So I knew that people had superpowers. And I put it together that those superpowers came from their unique, authentic identity and their difference. And so I decided my mission in life would be to show them that to help them discover and unleash their superpowers. Now, the end to that part of the story, my origin story is by the time I was 16, I was all pro football, basketball and track. And in fact, I was one of the fastest kids in Washington state in competition because I worked really hard to get there. And I knew that I had superpowers like everybody else Mm -hmm. did. And so I learned them. And that really taught me that it was true what my parents said. I could do anything if I worked hard enough. And the things I observed were true. People did have superpowers. It did come from their difference. And they needed to see that and celebrate it. So it became my mission to, to understand how to do that. So I trained to be a rabbi. I trained in learning psychology and psychoanalysis. And then after rabbinical studies, I got into recruiting and HR. But my goal was to just work with human talent development in any company 
that saw their people and their superpowers as what they wanted to unleash. Yeah. And that became my journey. And I was lucky enough to find different companies who really saw the superpowers in their people as their main superpower, as a company and a community. Mm-hmm. And then I just learned, which is my number one superpower. And I've continued to do that from people, which is the richest resource we can learn from and to be inspired by them from then to now. That's awesome. And it's amazing the power of words when, especially from early influences in life to make an impact that way. So it's interesting. I always think about your words. I always sort of sometimes say, and I now think about and clearly is impactful for you. You've had tremendous experience, not only at Yahoo and at some other great companies, but I want to ask you about kind of the last eight, almost nine years of your experiences there to today. I imagine the work you do has to look very different from that first year, year three, four, and then to today. Can you tell us a little bit about what it looked like then and then sort of the journey all the way up until now? Yeah, that's a great question. And it has been an epic and transformative journey. And, you know, because I love unleashing superpowers, I love studying and understanding people's creativity. And I've learned that at the center, the essence of creativity is transformation and change. And I'm probably lucky we moved 10 times by the time I was 12 years old. So I got very used to change early on. And I got excited about each new house and each new neighborhood and community and people and friends Mm -hmm. and experience. So I love transformation. But here's how it started and how it evolved. When I joined Yahoo in 2013, Marissa and their chief development officer, Jackie, hired me there. It was this journey of transforming Yahoo from traditional digital content to mobile. And they had very little in mobile at the beginning, and then that really transformed, and they built a big, powerful mobile business. But I joined, and I knew we were in for this big transformation, so I started running recruiting and learning and development at the beginning. And in those next three years, we hired eight, 9,000 people. We really you know, saw a lot of people leave and a lot of new people come into the company. We transformed its business, built a billion-dollar-plus mobile business, and then successfully sold the company to Verizon. So it was very much about talent and superpowers and building culture and partnership, open conversations, helping people understand that superpowers came from diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. And so I was thrilled to be at Yahoo, both because the woman who hired me was a woman and the CEO was a woman, And because they really took a different approach to what Yahoo was going to be, a place that connected people to their passions, but also gave them, delivered to them content and experiences that mattered to them. So it was very personal and it was a very personal culture and it was a mission. What evolved was a deeper and deeper focus on diversity, inclusion, and now equity and belonging. Yeah, I would ask you, you say belonging, and it's something we've been talking a lot Can you talk about the importance of belonging? Yes. So, you know, I'm going to start from my philosophy about life. People are born broken. And while that may sound sad and fatalistic, it's actually optimistic because the reason we strive to create, to connect, to love, and to transform is because we are born broken. At one point in our inception, we thought we were everything, and then we suddenly feel like we're just us. So that conflict between being individual and being collective is lifelong. Mm. But it drives us to create, to become a scientist, an artist, a basketball player, everything and anything we decide to become. And so the interesting thing about the evolution of belonging is that we will always feel like we're broken. So we're always going to feel like something's missing as long as we live. We'll get better at understanding that we really are connected and complete and whole with everybody when we create, when we give, when we love. But it will take a lifetime to do it. And that's what keeps us living and creating. So 
including people is incredibly important and celebrating their difference, celebrating their diversity, all incredibly important to get to the authenticity of who Mm -hmm. someone really is. But belonging is about showing a level of investment and inclusion and caring and matters and impact that actually translate from somebody to, I'm here and I'm included, but I'm still broken and I shouldn't really be here. So it's not just about what everyone else thinks and feels, it's what you ultimately think and feel. And so, you know, the analogy, I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a group of lawyers and one of the lawyers said, isn't belonging already covered in inclusion? And I said, well, you could be invited to the party and there could be people dancing at that party who threw the party and they haven't asked you to dance. So you're included, but you don't belong. But if they won't even put on music without asking you what kind of music should we listen to and making sure you're dancing with them, then you belong, right? And we all know from school and high school exactly the difference between inclusion and belonging. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and what so, a terrible feeling when you don't feel like you belong. Right. Or when you're at the dance and you're sitting on the side and you're watching everyone dance. <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. And, yeah. Yeah. That's almost right. worse than it's not being worse. invited to the dance at all. Yes. You know? And you never forget it. Like <laughs> you just said, it also comes back all the time. It comes back all the time and in every moment. You find out that people know something from a meeting you weren't in or you didn't hear or you weren't told. And again, immediately you're like, oh, I don't belong because they did that without me or they didn't tell me or why didn't they? All these things go through your head. And so this is why co-design is such a big deal to me because from another thing that changed from eight or nine years ago to now is that we're building culture in co-design with people. After the tragic murder of George Floyd, we built a racial justice plan, a very aggressive one, in co-design with Black employees from across the world that were a part of the company. And we knew, all we knew is that we needed to learn and that the right answer was to learn together with our Black and diverse employees versus to either do it for them or ask them to do it for us. Mm. And so that meant, though, being honest and vulnerable and saying, we don't know what we should do for racial Mm -hmm. justice, but we're about to build it together and then we're going to make sure we take action. And it's still going today. So that program continues And we've accomplished a lot, even though the road to racial justice and racial equality we know is super long. And we're so early on and we have so much more to do. But co-design is about belonging. Mm. Because when someone asks you, hey, I want to throw a party, Corel, throw it with me. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what we're going to do. That's Mm -hmm. belonging. Mm -hmm. Inclusion is like, I'll invite you for sure. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And and by the way, I don't want to diminate inclusion. Inclusion is super important. Right. right. Belonging is the ultimate measure. I mean, you got to get invited in order to, you know. Yeah, you can't belong if you aren't there. Right. (laughs) Right. That's exactly right. Right. To your point, it it doesn't stop there. Sandy, I want to switch topics here just a little bit because we're catching you right as you come off of the stage at, at Color and your panel discussion, your topic was around mental health, which I think obviously inclusion and belonging also aligns with mental health, right? Because you could be suffering if you're, again, there at the party and watching people dance and you're not dancing, right? So if you could just take a minute and maybe explain to the audience what the panel discussion was about and the conversation that you were having on stage. So we just had a panel discussion that was amazing about mental health and the efforts that are being undertaken by society and by corporations Mm -hmm. to normalize mental health and to transform mental health from something we see as a flaw and an aberration or almost a breach in the continuity of your reality, in your health, in your state of being, even the words mental health, right? Take us all to a place of, I'm sick, I need to go to a doctor and get better. That's what it means. Just like you go to a doctor. None of us thinks I'm going to go to a doctor because it's a normal, good thing to do every day, right? Mm -hmm. It's fixing something. And remember my theme about everyone's born broken. So mental health is the break is showing, 
right? The break is manifesting. But we want to take it to, you know, mental health is like physical fitness, which many of us will remember when I was young, physical fitness was rarely done. Self-help was rarely done. It was for people who had a problem. Now, we want people to see mental health as the mental capability you have, how you process and live life, mental superpowers like resilience and fortitude and flexibility and vulnerability. And so that transformation is epic. It's across all humanity. And unfortunately, but interestingly, we have this focus on it that's been super amplified by the pandemic. And so the entire world has come under assault of its mental health all at once. And so that's reinforced something we were already trying to get to before, which was mental health is the fabric of your life, not a breach in the fabric of your life, right? Or as Desiree said, you're living in an ocean. And we all think the ocean's supposed to be calm all the time. When we go to the beach, that's what we would like. But the truth is the ocean's never calm. Water moves. And that's who we are, right? And we're a majority of water, by the way, physiologically. So I think what we're trying to do in corporations now is to say, hey, mental health is something that is a part of how you live life, how you create your authenticity and your difference and your diversity. And we want to activate that. We want to celebrate it. We want you to have access. We want you to know how to manage it. We want you to know how to have support and advocacy for it when you have challenges. We've probably all heard a mentor say to us somewhere in our life, you know, your challenges will define you. How you respond to those challenges will shape who you are. Opportunities will be created by how you work through a challenge. And that is all true. But we still look at it like, hey, I want to avoid challenges. I want to avoid pain. But life is challenges and pain. And again, that's not a pessimistic statement. It's an optimistic statement. Look at what humanity does with it. Look at how we create. And so the panel today was a number of companies like Made a Millions who are experts in helping companies understand how to manage and normalize mental health and how to work with it and process it and build on it and share it. And then MTV, who's doing incredible work, like their media guide to tell companies how to tell stories more accurately, how to have responsible representation of mental health in storytelling in the workplace and in the world and in people's lives. And so Yahoo, MTV were there and then made of millions. And then there was a gentleman there who was doing just incredible work with the Confess Project. And so he's talking about rallying barbershops who are doing coaching and counseling on helping people to get mental health help. They're not acting as the mental health practitioners. Mm-hmm. And we don't want managers to do that in companies either. But what we are doing is, and, and what he's doing, which I think is brilliant, is getting those barbers to talk to people in communities, including diverse communities who may not have as much access or may not be as predisposed to understand that mental health is something they can and should manage and share. And everybody is. It it literally is how we're all living. And so we were talking about our efforts. We were talking about taking action. We were talking about the different approaches we have. So MTV has done a guide. The Confess Project is doing a great job at this training of barbers so that they can each reach tons of people, actually. I think he said they're going to reach a million people by December. Just in understanding, hey, if you have challenges, here's how to deal with it. And here's where to go Mm -hmm. to get support. And this is something you can and should share because it will be important and help you grow. And everyone's doing it. It It's tremendous. Activating something already that's in the community that's already. That's where it'll be its um, most powerful because that's where you feel safe. And that's where it's trusted, right? Right. And then for us in corporations like at Yahoo, our strategy has been let's activate it for our employees, which will lead to activating it for our users and readers, which will lead to activating society. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to really partner with everybody who wants to do this and is invested to do it well. 
So we have a lot of workshops going and we did a Made Academy, which was with Made of Millions. We did this training. We asked all 10,000 employees to do the training. They did. We had tons of conversations with our CEO and leaders about mental health, our own experiences and sharing with employees and these workshops and these tools. And we did it on a regular basis. So, you know, in the last year, employees would tell you diversity and mental health came up in every meeting, every activity, every event. It was always on the agenda. It was always part of it. And we were always taking action and providing support or tools or investment. Because one of our mottos is always show up and take action and invest. I want to ask you, you mentioned about diversity. Tell me about neuro neurodiversity. Can you you walk us through that? Yeah, so neurodiversity is really an amazing, amazing concept and program that was started. I believe it was started at Yahoo. It's been there for many years. I'm trying to think if it was actually there before me or started up while I was there. It may have been while I was joining. But neurodiversity was this employee resource group. And so, you know, many corporations form employee resource groups. Mm -hmm. They are communities focused on diverse, underserved communities and in helping them really have voice, recruit, build community in the company, help the company in its products, marketing and services, and help co-design culture, right? And drive that. So we have 10 different ERGs, but neurodiversity is one of them. And the premise for neurodiversity was there are many different ways a person's mind is formed and structured and then perceives and interprets reality. And people are differently minded. They are differently abled. And so that's where neurodiversity came from. Can we understand all those different ways a person may look at something? Because they were black, because they were gay, because they were a woman, because they had disabilities, because they were a veteran, because they were an American Indian, because they were Asian and Pacific Islander, because they're a parent, right? So we have many different groups formed. Neurodiversity was formed around this idea that people who have different minds and different mental formulation, like disabilities or like a disability like autism, as an example, would have a different interpretation of reality. And the beauty of it is that from that framing comes their gifts and their superpowers, just as all of us from who we are and our identity. The shape of our identity turns into the gifts and the way we imprint reality, right? So neurodiversity formed around people getting together and saying like, I have you know, this particular ability or disability or order or disorder or way of seeing things. And it was the first community and program approach that I saw in a corporate setting, which I loved, that shifted from thinking disabled or disorder to differently abled and different order of sight and perception. So it removed the stigma hierarchy and it went to an alternative one, which is this idea of difference and what's behind difference is brilliant, is beautiful, right? Is the shape of who we are. And so that community formed early and became a very strong community at Yahoo. And in fact, when Verizon bought us, they had a different community around disabilities. And so disabilities and neurodiversity connected and became stronger as they started to share expertise and experience and community, right? And so that was one of the exciting things about that, joining together with Verizon, who was such a powerful advocate of of diversity and neurodiversity and taking action in the community, right? So that's where neurodiversity came from. And it allows people to really not only search out and find their gifts, but express their challenges and express the different way they may perceive what's going on. And it allows everyone to decode that better and understand here's why I look at something a different way. And, you know, I was actually thinking about this on stage today because it's in our nature to want to control situations and feel in control. And so the moment we're given any tool, we like to think, well, now I have this tool, so now I can manage this thing and it's all good. 
whether it's mental health or diversity or anything, right? And I was on stage as we were all talking, thinking, I think I mentioned afterwards, you may or may not have heard this, I mentioned the stat that they said something like 53% of leaders came out of the pandemic, out of the last part of the pandemic, thinking I was going to be able to support people and make them feel safe, both in their diversity and during the pandemic. And afterwards, I realized I couldn't make them feel safe. So they felt they failed. And someone mentioned that stat to me, and I said, that's success. And they said, what success? And I said, the fact that leaders now understand you won't solve mental health and you won't solve somebody who's diverse feeling identity-based trauma or pressure or oppression. You will learn how to better help them all the time. But you're never going to get to this place where they're like, okay, I got it. I've now solved for the 7 billion people on the planet. I know how to make them <laughs> yeah, all feel yeah. safe. Because I controlled it and now I'm good. You don't control that yeah, and humans yeah. are born broken. And so we're always going to be struggling with something. It's about always learning how can I help you now? Or what new, new way do I learn about someone else's need? Yeah. Because that's the other thing we know. Within every community and every diverse community, we all have different ways we need support, different kinds of support we want and like, right? And then our situation and time will change that. So neurodiversity was just a great change and shift in the, both the narrative and the framing of let's help this underserved community who has these challenges to let's look at these challenges as alternative ways of being and thinking and gifts. And so that was really empowering. Very cool. Yeah. You mentioned the pandemic has accelerated the conversations around mental health, diversity and inclusion. Obviously, this is an area that you are super passionate about, right? What excites you about the future in terms of where we are going as individuals related to mental health and, and diversity and inclusion and, and belonging and all the things that we're sort of talking about here and what you talked about on stage? What excites you about the future as to where we are going potentially uh, as corporations and as a society? So <laughs> this is probably going to be a funny answer from what you might expect, but what really excites me about the future is the idea that people would start building their identity and their superpowers from the time they're young. Mm. And so if you think about where we are, I almost think about it like when I was growing up, there was a superhero role-playing game. And you would have these cards that were like the superhero you decided to be, whether it was Superman or Spider-Man or Storm or Cyclops, whoever you were going to be. And they had a little card and it had like your strengths and your powers and a little bit about your story and your, your challenges too, your weaknesses. And, you know, when we as kids played that game, we didn't look at that as like, oh, it's bad that Superman can't handle kryptonite or that Spider-Man has certain vulnerabilities, right? Or Storm is claustrophobic. We looked at it as that's part of the really interesting, powerful character that they are, right? Mm -hmm. So all of that became exciting to be a part of and to understand and immerse in. And so if you think about what's going on in the narrative and the dialogue now, people are realizing when I engage the workforce, I'm going to engage on diversity and I'm going to engage on mental health. So first of all, just think about how different that is from, you know, we said this in the panel today, I've had three experiences in the last year and a half that I shared with the company that were mental health challenges for me that two or three years ago, I wouldn't have shared, not with the company, not in a big setting with hundreds or thousands of people. I might've said it to a few close coworkers and friends, but now it's something we know this is a part of what we're doing and will help us move forward. If I can add to that, it's also a part of what you hear candidates are asking more and more about during the interview process yep. too, right? Yep. I have many more candidates these days asking me about how the company is supporting employees. What are the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that go on much more than ever before? It is certainly a a requirement and a level in which potential candidates are evaluating companies now more so than ever before, I think. 
That's right. I agree with you. I've had many instances where candidates over the last few years have told me about decisions they've made, career decisions they've made to go to companies and to not go to companies based on what they learned about their emphasis and focus on diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging mm-hmm. and mental health. Mm-hmm. And a big part of our storytelling now is just what we've learned and how we act there and the things we do and, and showing what matters by action, mm. right? So mm. somebody was just making, a, made a quote as we were coming down here, which was some of the guidance we received in our panel today was to show, not tell. And I think that is such a brilliant leadership principle mm. that now I'm going to use it forever. Show, don't tell. So it's easy to tell somebody, go support mental health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's another thing if you can say, let me show you how we support mental health and things we have done and how people felt. And so I think about this because when we do a lot of interviewing, one of the stories I always tell is we have a show called Making Moves, which is where we just highlight employees who are making moves to grow their career. And every show will also have an element about diversity. And so we'll talk about specific one of the ERGs. They'll have representatives there. We'll talk about we may interview a panel of diverse employees. And so a while back, we did one for Black History Month. We had Black employees on the panel being interviewed, but we had an extra chair. And midway through the panel, Hans, the CEO of Verizon, came and sat in the extra chair, who's a you know very tall, white Swedish guy. Mm-hmm. And he said, now I'm diverse on the panel from the panel. And he proceeded to learn from the other five about what their experience as Black employees was inside a company and what mattered to them. Share some of his own from his unique experiences, but really more about learning from them. And then at the end, our CEO at the time got up and Guru told a story about growing up a darker skinned Indian man in India and be discriminated against before it and how beautifully thought it was that now he worked at a company where it was celebrated. And so the power of that, you know, employees said to us afterwards, they're like two CEOs attended a Black event about employees growing. And they said to me, they said, that shows what you guys care about because CEOs show up for the priorities, right? Mm -hmm. And so it taught us, well, I was just told today about this panel, show, don't tell, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that applies for every manager and leader. If mental health matters to you, show it. Don't just say it matters. And if you're trying to help people figure out how to do and support that and diversity and all your diverse employees, show them. Don't just say to do it. And don't just say, we're going to do it. That's why whenever we show up to an event, we want to take action. We want to invest. And through all the programs we've done, that's been a really important theme. So that's super important. All right. Fun question, Sandy, that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast. Great. Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone on a regular basis, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. Those are too boring. Okay, easy. (laughs) So Marvel Comics. All right. Yahoo Sports. I'm a big football fan. Seahawks, of course, forever. And who's your um, favorite Marvel character? It is Miles Morales, the Dominican Spider-Man. Gotcha. Best best character ever created. And Spider-Verse, the movie about him, is my favorite movie of all time. Okay. I call it liquid comic book because if you've seen it, just they play with the visuals and the video Mm -hmm. of it during Mm -hmm. the experience. It's so brilliant. But you really felt like you were related to and connected to Miles and understanding his experience, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which was so beautifully done. So he's my absolute favorite. I would say probably the other one is Jean Grey because her whole life is about living and dying to save those she loves. Mm -hmm. And it took the least powerful female character in Marvel Comics to become the most powerful character in Marvel Comics, which I thought was just an incredible transition, right? And then my third one is Instagram. Actually, Instagram tie with TikTok. I love TikTok for learning and entertainment and I love Instagram for just 
visual storytelling of what's up with your community. Were you dying for content when Instagram was down uh, a few days ago? How did you handle that? You know, I was working, so I didn't have to worry about it, but I would have. Had I known, I would have been like, oh my gosh, what's happening? All my friends told me about it, but you know, content, shared experiences and access to emotion Mm -hmm. is so important. And, you know, during the pandemic, I have to say that TikTok was one of the things that saved me because my nephew dared me to do something on TikTok. So I went and I, I sang and I danced on a TikTok mm-hmm. and then I really liked it and it was a good workout. So I just started doing it through the pandemic. And those kind of experiences, finding different ways we all could connect to each other yeah. and get through it was incredibly powerful. I thought I was going to hear a little Dungeons and Dragons somewhere in there. So, Is there an app? Yes. That... Yeah. So I have played Dungeons and Dragons since I was 13, as I told Corel, because I had an elf <laughs> named Corel. So I was very excited about his name. And, you know, names matter. And I will tell you that Dungeons and Dragons changed my life because when I was 12 and 13 years old, first of all, I had a really active imagination and it gave me something really powerful to do. Mm. It gave everybody an ability to role play and share access of experiences. And it also reinforced in me this idea that you create the world around you. Because in D&D, you're creating these worlds. I was mm-hmm. a dungeon master, so I was literally creating worlds. But the empowerment, the choice, the imagination, the understanding other people's experiences, that never went away for me, that sense of adventure. And because I had to fight for life, I viewed life as this beautiful adventure that mm-hmm. I was lucky to have. Yeah. And so, you know, D&D comes up all the time, whether it's the fact that they're their way of growing levels, advancing levels, is the best career development model I've ever seen in my mm. life. So I always use it because every 12 and 13-year-old understands it. Slay the dragon, find gold, mm-hmm. and then you grow to the next level. Mm. So it's just like at work. Create, use your superpowers, connect to people, change the world, grow. Right? Mm-hmm. Learn, connect, grow. So it's just a great model. That's awesome. Sandy, thanks for hanging out with us. It's been a blast. And thanks for teaching us and audience so much. We learned a lot. I mean, neurodiversity. Thanks for helping us understand mental health and even the role that media and corporations have there. And we hope you come back and join us. uh, I would love to come back. Thank you both for doing this, because I think giving voice and emotional access is really power. And like I said, I love when we can learn, connect and grow together. I think that's how we all transform. So we're now all more powerful because we've all learned together and we're going to go out and and spread and share that with everybody else too. So thank you for doing what you do. Absolutely. And thanks for teaching everybody about superpowers too. I think it's huge. We all got them. Let's use them. That's right. We want to thank our partners at AdColor as well for a tremendous event and so much more to come. And we want to thank everyone for listening to another episode. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks again, Sandy. Thank you both. Be well. Excellent.